Ed Peters and I welcome you to What's New. We continue on today in Acts chapter 7 moving on to verses 9 through 19. These verses continue Stephen's address to the Sanhedrin. He now moves from Abraham verses 2 through 8 which we looked at on our previous study to the patriarchal period. He speaks of the brethren of Joseph motivated by envy and hatred who sold Joseph into Egypt. But God overruled and used Joseph to save them. Now, here's what Luke writes. These men were very jealous of Joseph and sold him to be slaves in Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his anguish and gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt as well as putting him in charge of all the affairs of the palace. But a famine developed in Egypt and Canaan, and there was great misery for our ancestors. When their food was gone, Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father Jacob and all of his brother's families to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob came to Egypt where he died and all his sons. All of them were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a sum of money. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham to free his descendants from slavery, the Jewish people greatly multiplied in Egypt. But then a king was crowned who had no respect for Joseph's memory. This king plotted against our race, forcing parents to abandon their children in the fields.
Stephen uses this abbreviated account of Joseph, his father and brothers, to make his point that the nation of Israel had consistently rejected God's favored individuals. Stephen builds his case about Jesus' rejection by noting Joseph's rejection by his brothers. Now here to bring us our study for today is Pastor Henry Harder. What do you say to a hostile audience? Stephen, a disciple of Jesus Christ, was forced to appear before the highest court in the land, the Sanhedrin, probably 70 men, all hostile. False witnesses had accused Stephen of blasphemy. They reported that Stephen spoke against the law of Moses and against the temple. There was a grain of truth in their accusations. The court was convinced of his guilt. Blasphemy carried a sentence of death. The high priest turned to Stephen and asked, Are these charges true? What would you say? Stephen, instead of defending himself, turns to history and reviews the history of Israel from Abram to Solomon. At first glance, it would appear that Stephen didn't really know what to say, so he stalls for time, postponing the inevitable sentence. What better way than to talk about their history? They were all interested in their roots. At first reading, that seems to be the case. But I want to suggest that Stephen had very carefully worked out his reply to the high priest's question, and he was driving home several points. First, he spoke about Abraham. I covered that yesterday. His second illustration from history is the story of Joseph. The story was well known to the Sanhedrin. With bold strokes, Stephen recounts it but doesn't apply it to this situation. He leaves the Sanhedrin to draw their own conclusions. So my question is, what did Stephen want the Sanhedrin to learn from Joseph? Here is what I suggest. After Joseph was united with his brothers in Egypt, referring to what they had done to him, he said to them, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to the saving of many lives. That's Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph was saying to his brothers that God continuously superintended what had happened. We call that the providence of God. The word providence is not a scriptural word, but it is certainly a scriptural doctrine of God. It comes from the word provide, and it says that God providentially guided all history toward a goal. Providence says that this world isn't ruled by chance nor by fate, but by a sovereign God. The Bible presents the goal toward which all history moves as the salvation of this world in Jesus Christ. The Bible is a history of salvation, of God's acts, to save our world. Providence means, then, that God has not abandoned this world which he created, but that he works with his creation and will bring it to completion. Stephen selected Joseph to say that God manages all things. This means, too, that evil has its limits. Evil is allowed to go so far and no farther. Why doesn't our world commit moral suicide, or physical suicide for that matter? The answer is that there are restraints. God has set limits beyond which man cannot go. 
more than any other one point about God in the experience of Joseph. It is his providence that comes through. In all the acts of hate from his brothers, God was working behind the scenes, and it always turned out to man's advantage. Evil has limits. God didn't allow the brothers to kill Joseph, which is what they wanted to do. The sale of Joseph, his disappearance for years, the famine in the land, these were all disasters from a human point of view, but God always turns them into advantages and blessings. He used them to save the lives of Joseph and his brothers from starvation. God saved the nation. Instead of extinction, the nation grew miraculously in Egypt. Even when a king arose in Egypt who was hostile to Israel and who threatened to kill all the newborn babies, even that served God's purpose. He used that to get Israel back to his land. So Stephen carefully chooses all these experiences from the life of Joseph to illustrate the providence of God. Now, what should the Sanhedrin conclude? They must have asked, what is this fanatic trying to tell us? We know the story of Joseph so well. They knew it taught God's providence. I wonder if they made the transition to their time. I wonder if they missed the point. Personally, I don't think they missed it. In fact, getting the point must have enraged them. Here is the point. They had acted like the brothers of Joseph. They had sold Jesus. They had done everything in their power to destroy him. They had finally succeeded in killing him. The nagging question was, could God's providence be in all of this? Could God be overruling in these matters? They had planned the crucifixion for evil. Was God planning it for good? While God is never a partner to sin, yet even sin is within his providence. It has to be that way since God is greater than evil. Joseph's brothers must have thought that Joseph had long since died, but suddenly he appears alive. Man had killed Jesus, but suddenly he appeared alive. Could God be in it? Were all their efforts to get Jesus out of the way in vain? Perhaps they thought of Proverbs 16:9, Man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Or Proverbs 19:21, Many are the plans in man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Even disobedience and sin are governed by God's laws. Even the sin of crucifying Jesus was within God's providence. You meant it for harm, Joseph said to his brothers, but God meant it for good. There is tremendous comfort and peace in the providence of God. History flows. Where is it all going to end? It will end in God's glory. God does care. All history proves that.
new is a radio production of Creative Encounters for mailing addresses Post Office Box 848, Chapter California, 93263, USA.